Well, raise your hands if your parents taught you not to quit. I think all of our parents attended the same seminar. That's why we had to finish our Little League season, even though we were terrible. It's why we had to take all of the classes for graduation instead of the ones we just liked. It's why we had to finish our summer job all the way to the end. We needed to learn not to quit. In fact, we even learned little phrases. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. See, we all went, our parents went to the same classes. We learned the same little sayings. Our parents, whether they realized it or not, were teaching us the importance of perseverance. What we might not accomplish with talent, we might accomplish with hard work. I remember when I was working on my PhD, I was told by a person, graduation would be 5% inspiration and 95% perspiration. He was teaching that finishing was about perseverance. Now, to balance this, I realize that it's appropriate to stop doing certain things. As children grow, we no longer change them, feed them, give them a bath, or help them get dressed. Later on, they do their own laundry, clean up after themselves, do household chores, get where they need to go. It's possible, maybe even godly at times, to stop doing something because it's not needed or provides another person an opportunity or gives us a chance to be redeployed in other ways. But I think we all know there's a difference between a person who sticks with things A person who's dedicated, a person who, even when they stop doing something, does it wisely, and a person who lacks perseverance, a quitter. I remember one of my seminary professors told us, stay in the same church long term, if at all possible. Over the years, I've seen too many men get discouraged and quit right about the time they were to experience ministry success. William Carey, called the father of modern missions, was a missionary in India. He was responsible for translating and supervising the translation of the Bible into 34 languages, starting a college, winning some 1,400 converts to Christ, and influencing an entire missionary movement. And here's what he said. I can plod and persevere. We often hear about ministry success like this and think that every day was full of blessing. In reality, it's not always full of blessing. In his early years, Carey wrote these words in his diary. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me. Oh, what I would give for a kind, sympathetic friend, such as I had in England, whom I might open my heart. Strong words. And it's not difficult to imagine a person deciding they're unwilling to live like that. What if Carey had decided it was too much? What if he packed his bags, went home? Most of us will not be remembered in the history books. But the Bible is clear that perseverance is part of what allows us to be fruitful and effective. We may not be William Carey, but nor do we have to be quitters either.
So our summer series is called Hope for Fruitful Service. Hope for Fruitful Service. We're illustrating the seven qualities mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, that must increase in order for us to be useful and effective in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The text says, now for this reason also, applying all diligence, or make every effort, to in your faith supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, in your perseverance godliness, in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, every message for the last seven weeks has been the same. Make every effort to add to your saving faith and then the quality. And what we have tried to do over these last seven weeks is illustrate what those seven qualities look like with skin on. What does it look like for a person to exhibit moral excellence? So we studied Daniel. What does it look like for a person to live with knowledge? So we looked at Solomon. What's it look like for a person to live with godliness? So we looked at Paul. Joseph was our example of self-control. Ruth was our model of love. Jonathan, our model of brotherly kindness. And so the question is, well, who should be the model for perseverance? Now, what does perseverance even mean? It's the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. The capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. Which is why the word for perseverance is sometimes translated patient, sometimes endurance, sometimes fortitude, sometimes steadfastness. It's the idea that I will endure to the end. I will finish strong. Or on the negative side, like that's going to happen over my dead, lifeless body. That's perseverance. So who, who would be our example? Well, in this case, the Bible tells us one. So instead of just deciding which one we wanted to choose, God decided to give us the illustration himself. James chapter 5 says, We count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And so we're going to look at Job. And in the process, we're going to see uh, what perseverance looks like with skin on. And while we're doing it, we'll see a Lord who's full of compassion and mercy. And so with that in mind, I invite you to Job chapter 1, and then Job chapter 42. So that's on page 370 of the Bible under the chair in front of you, as well as page 391. So Job 1 is on page 370, Job 42 on page 391. And I was to consider this morning three aspects of Job's perseverance that will help us be fruitful. Three aspects of his perseverance that will help us be fruitful. So here's Job chapter 1, verse 1. 
There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and his possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now I'd like to jump to chapter 42, verse 7. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do to you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemiah, the second Keziah, and the third, Karen Hapuk. And in the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Now these verses tell us something about Job. He was blessed by God. But his character was not corrupted by his wealth. He was upright, blameless. He feared God and turned away from evil. And the end of the book speaks like the beginning of the book did. Now we know, of course, that Job's life takes a major turn in chapter 1, verse 6. He'll lose his children, his wealth, his health. Even his wife struggles to encourage him. His friends come and start off well, but eventually treat Job as a rebel, stuck in the stubbornness of his own sin. God ultimately will rebuke Job. We'll see that a little bit later. But you know, before he's an illustration of perseverance when times are rough, he's an illustration of perseverance in good times. You see, if we're going to persevere... If we're going to finish strong, then we have to keep focused on the Lord when times are good. 
We have to keep focused on the Lord when times are good. The Bible said Job was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk of the ancient world. He had it all. And when it came time for the feast, they had places large enough for the family to be together. And what does it say about Job? He was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned away from evil. At the end, when he receives blessing yet again, God calls him my servant. Job was focused on the Lord when times were good. So if you ask Job on a certain day, where was the Lord with you, Job? What would he have said? Oh, it wouldn't have been, well, I, I, why did I focus on the Lord? I had everything I needed. His mind would have been dedicated to the Lord was at the front of my mind, motivating what I did and how I did it. Perseverance might be most difficult in suffering, but it's not the only place where perseverance develops. It's possible to grow perseverance during the winds, the blessings, and the times when everything seems good and right. Because the Lord's blessings sometimes bring a challenge to perseverance. When you have a lot, it's possible to be so focused on what you have to manage that you neglect the spiritual priorities of your life. Oh, we don't need God. Monday's the same Monday. I have that Monday every Monday. Tuesday's the same as every other Tuesday. And Wednesday's the same as every other Wednesday. I know what I do. What do I need God for? That's not how Job thought. Blessings can contribute to the pride of life. Where we're tempted to think, I I don't need God. I'll go to God when I have a need. Sometimes we might be asked, well, how can I pray for you? And we don't have a good answer to that. Maybe it's because we think we're less needy than what we are. So if you're experiencing good days, but lose your focus on the Lord, then you're going in the wrong direction. The Lord's blessings are designed to draw you closer to Him, to be more dependent on Him. That's what perseverance is going to look like. And it's here in the good times that we demonstrate commendable character. That's what Job did. In these early verses, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. What if God were writing this about us? There was a man in the land of Indiana named Rob who was, and then fill in the blank. What belongs there? What would be true of you? In Job 42, as we're seeing God choose to bless, we get this really odd comment. He, God restores all the children, seven sons, three daughters. Get this odd comment. And there, in the land, there were no women found as fair as Job's daughters. And the father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. It's yet again a reminder 
of God's blessing and Job's character in the midst of the blessing. His possessions double, and then that note about his daughters. I mean, how do you even understand that? How are we supposed to think about those words? Well, I think it's this picture. Job is so blessed that even his daughters were gorgeous. It's like the icing on the cake. You want to know how blessed he was? He had it all. I mean, even his girls were gorgeous. Blessings do not always correspond to godly character. In fact, God warned the nation of Israel when they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the land of Israel. So you're going to experience something you haven't experienced before. Every day for the last 40 years, you've had to go out and gather manna. You've been dependent on me to provide it every single day. But you're about ready to go into the land full of milk and honey. And when you're there, you're going to be tempted to think that you don't need the Lord. But that wasn't true for Job. He was demonstrating godly character in the midst of blessing. We also see that he showed continual concern about God and others. Notice what he chooses to do. This is the kind of person that he was in the midst of blessing. We're told that his sons would have feasts and they would rotate the location of that feast among their various houses, invite all of them together, and that they would enjoy the feast together. But what happened at the end of the feast cycle? After all of that was done, then Job would send for his children and consecrate them before the Lord, making sure that his children were present as he offered to the Lord ten whole burnt offerings for potential sin. Imagine being one of the kids. You had a party, and you knew it wasn't holy, but you didn't say anything. Daddy didn't know. So you just watch as your dad sacrifices on your behalf. Not because he knows whether or not you sinned, but because he knows there was a temptation to do so. And it was a parental nudge to live for the Lord. We find this little statement here, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Thus, Job did with perseverance. As a parent, I find this verse inspiring, challenging, convicting, Job and his family are feasting, enjoying the finest things the world has to offer. But he knows that he doesn't know the depths of his children's hearts. And it may be that during one of those feasts, as they were enjoying the blessings of the world, maybe pride entered in. Maybe self-sufficiency entered in. 
Maybe drunkenness or immorality or some other sin occurred. So what does Job do? Maybe they've cursed God in their hearts. And whenever that occasion presented itself, he goes to the Lord. Are you focused on the Lord? Properly fearing Him? Meditating on the Scriptures? Imitating and teaching them to your children when days are good? If you're a parent, are you interceding for your kids? They might not be living for the Lord. They might be at parties that are a mockery of the cross. They might be dating a person who doesn't care about Jesus. They might be out smoking weed, getting drunk, living immorally, and you don't know. Or maybe you're a child and your parents aren't living for Jesus. Are you interceding for them? Knowing that they might be sinning in their own ways, rejecting God in their own hearts. Or maybe you're a single with many friends. Are you concerned that your friends are potentially being caught in the snares of Satan? That they're going the wrong direction? They're walking down the path of destruction. Are you interceding for them? It's hard to persevere. It's hard to stick with it. But Job's example encourages us to continue what's doing right. Not neglecting the Lord or the spiritual well-beings of those around him. You know, we're experiencing blessing as a church family. This year, we're seeing growth unlike we've seen in a long time. And that means that we must persevere in thanking the Lord, praying, and reminding one another to be diligent, to fear the Lord, and proactively dedicating ourselves to loving God and loving others. You know, this happens at the end of the book, too. You remember the three friends that started well, but eventually grew angry at Job because they viewed him functioning as a self-righteous rebel. They confronted him harshly. And here's what the Bible says about that. At the very end, I read this earlier. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, In other words, the three friends are about ready to get theirs. And he says to Eliphaz, you have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job has. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. Now, I want you to imagine being Job for a moment. Let's see, what should I pray? Maybe I should pray an imprecatory prayer. Oh God, 
Would you please learn, help them learn to shut their mouths? Would you give them wisdom to discern properly rather than to make assumptions? Oh, Lord, would you please deal with them according to their foolishness? For the harsh criticism that they have delivered me in the midst of my suffering. Doesn't appear Job does that at all. But I tend to think this. That Job responds correctly here and intercedes for his friends in chapter 42 because he had been doing that for his children all along. It was really chapter 1 regurgitated in relation to his friends. He had interceded many times on behalf of his kids. He was used to interceding. So the idea of interceding for his friends wasn't a stretch. Perseverance applies in good times. Focus on the Lord. And may it be true of all of us that if there was a little word that said, and there was a person in the land of Indiana whose name was, and put your name there, who was, hopefully the words upright, blameless, fearing God, and turning from evil would be that answer. Well, now we need to consider, trust the Lord in the trials. Trust the Lord in the trials. Living with perseverance, living in, with strength all the way to the end is hard. We need to focus on the Lord in the good times, but we also know that Job trusted God in the bad times. I'm going to read a series of verses back in chapter 1 again. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, From where did you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on earth, a blameless, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about his house and all that he's had on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And of course, God gives Satan permission. In chapter 1, verse 20, after delivering all of the bad news, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You know, friends, Job didn't know what we read. It's not like he was in on the deal. He's experiencing it. And sometimes the Lord allows 
his people to experience blessing and then sometimes hardship. And this time that hardship comes directly from the will of God. We had to do something with it. Job had to do something with it. And so, like Job, commit to praise God in the affliction. The blessings made, life, made Job's life full, but they're suddenly gone. His livelihood is destroyed and looted. His servants and children are killed. But what does Job do? Job admits, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we sing a song that has that title. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In days that are good is all about the first verse, but in days that are hard is all about the second one. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has every right to give and every right to take away. A relative of mine who has endured a lot of hardship said to me not long ago, the Lord did not promise me an easy life. That was a Job-like comment. Job grieves, but he takes a humble posture and praises the Lord. We see that in the Psalms. Believers spoke honestly, like in Psalm 13 where David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? But by the end, he says, Lord, you've been good to me, and I trust in your loving kindness. God commands us to give thanks in all circumstances, not just the easy ones. And if you are suffering and struggling to praise, like Job did in the midst of the hardship, then it might help to write out, Ten specific reasons why you can still praise and worship God. Stick it on a note card. Put it on your dash, on your computer monitor. Stick it someplace where you'll see it. So that you can remember, blessed be the name of the Lord, not just when days are hard, but when, not just when days are good, but when days are hard. Accept adversity. That comes from your all-wise God. You know, I have never met a person in the midst of suffering who said this was a good time for it. Nobody says that. Our all-wise creator God sees with lenses we don't see. Sees a picture that we don't see. That's why we don't lean on our own understanding. That's why we, in all our ways, acknowledge Him and let Him direct our paths. See, what often hinders us from persevering through the trials is not believing or accepting that this trial is tailor-made for me and purposely permitted by God. Job did that. When he responds to his wife, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Am I only allowed to accept good from God? Or is God allowed for his own reasons and purposes to allow something 
negative. And all this, Job did not send with his lips. He accepted the adversity. And that's not easy. Sometimes we doubt the Lord's wisdom and His timing. We're like, Lord, this is the worst time. Don't you know my schedule? Lord, this person? Why are you making me deal with this person? I can handle everybody else, but that one? How can I handle this? I don't have the strength for that. Friends, it's not clear that God ever told Job the full story. What you and I know is not necessarily what Job knew. Instead, he experienced the roller coaster of success, grief, and pain without all the details, just like we do. And he submitted to it rather than fought against it. One way that your heart is helped to accept adversity is by meditating on the wisdom of God. He has reasons which He may or may not make known to you. But please don't deceive yourself into thinking that you know better than He does. If you're struggling with the suffering and hardship, then I recommend a couple of resources to you. One is called Can You Trust God or You Can Trust God by Jerry Bridges. And another is Suffering Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense by Paul Tripp. So Suffering by Paul Tripp or You Can Trust God by Jerry Bridges. Here's a third element of this trusting the Lord, it's believe the Lord controls and permits suffering for a good purpose. See, the Lord is the one who set the boundary markers for Satan. It's not that Satan was given free reign for everything. Instead, there were boundaries. In these verses, verse 12, it said, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. There was the limit. And at the end of the first set of afflictions, Job says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. In the second round, we see, so the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. And again, in Job chapter 2, he will say, shall we indeed accept good from God? And not accept adversity. And at the very end, in chapter 42, verse 11, which I read earlier, they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversaries that the Lord had brought on him. See, perseverance is not about getting through the trial and seeking to absolve God of his sovereign involvement. Our task is to believe that the controls of our suffering are in God's hands. And that whatever He allows us to endure is part of a larger plan associated with His glory and our good. And so we're focused. We need to be focused on the Lord in the midst of the good times. We need to trust Him in the midst of 
of the hard times. And then the third point is really going to summarize what happens between Job 2 and Job 42. What happens in that 40-chapter middle? And it's acknowledged the struggle over the long term. Perseverance is not about being faithful for five minutes. That's being faithful for five minutes. Perseverance is sticking it out over the long haul. Perseverance positively is finishing strong. Perseverance negatively is this isn't going to happen unless it happens over my dead, lifeless body. That's perseverance all the way. But that's hard. And Job's initial comments start to change as we move through the book. Job's example first shows us that we need to petition the Lord humbly. It's not wrong for Job to lament or to bring his sorrows, questions, and struggles to the Lord. But as his friends continually apply the pressure, as the hardships of life apply their pressure, we start to see Job respond slightly differently. Job believes he's innocent. And he's sick of his friends telling him that he's not. And so he wants to approach God and speak to God and tell God to answer him. In chapter 31, we find these words, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And the indictment which my adversary has written, surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Woo! When I read those words, like a prince, I would approach him, my mind went to Aladdin. (laughs) Anybody else? I mean, you, you know, Prince Ali showing up, right? Man, this big parade. I mean, I'm thinking, Job, is that what you're thinking? You're going to approach God. You're like, hey, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, let's go to God right now. Let's stand up. Let's open up the books. Let it out. I'll approach God like a prince. Woo. Wow. Let the Almighty answer me. He says, like a prince, I would approach him. Those are strong words. But I get it, don't you? Job's grieving. He's in physical pain. He had a wife who was unhelpful. Friends who judged incorrectly and kept confronting him with their wrong judgments. And it reached the point where he says, it's time for God to settle this score. And in his anger and pride, Job demands that God answer him. So God does answer him. And in chapter 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel 
by words without knowledge. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. See, Job is going to struggle, not because it was his sin that resulted in suffering. His friends were wrong about that. We see that in chapter 42. And when Job received the the horrible news, he responded well. But as time moved and pressure intensified, his petition moved to demand. Then don't blame God for wrongdoing when you think you're treated unjustly. That's what happened here for Job. He he was struggling with God's justice, struggling that, that God was being right in this situation. And so in chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. None of us want to see each other suffer, we don't want each other to hurt. And if it comes to a day when we do experience hardship, then we want you to recover quickly and experience blessing. But sometimes the Lord allows the pain to linger. Please don't accuse God of wrongdoing, of injustice, because you see somebody else who's blessed. And remember that God is not obligated to answer the way you desire. And you must still persevere in faith. We can ask the why question. We can say, God, why now? Why us? But we have to be content with not always receiving an answer. There's nothing wrong with asking God and lament. But Job reminds us, to be prepared to receive no answer. He ultimately is going to say, Therefore I declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. See, Job got to the place where he realized he was being a bit presumptuous, and he needed to stop. That's why we confess and repent when we have a distorted view of God. You see, this third point is about the struggle. The first one is clear. Focus on the Lord in good times. The second, trust God in the midst of the trials. But now we're acknowledging the fact that there's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some hards. And here's what Job says. I know that you can do all things, 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. By Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. I couldn't help but wonder, as I was thinking about this interchange from chapter 31 through chapter 40, whether there was a side of Satan that was saying, you know what, Job's cracking. Job's cracking. He's going to give in. And here is the ultimate vindication for the Lord. Because when God confronts Job, what does Job do? He doesn't dig his heels in and say, no way, not buying it. God, look what you've done. Instead, he says, you're right. I spoke too quickly. So now I will close my mouth. I will listen to your instruction, and I repent. Perseverance will often require repentance. To finish strong will require repentance. Because sometimes we crack. Did Job's sin cause the suffering? Of course not. It was God-ordained. But in the midst of the suffering, he struggled. But when confronted, he responded with repentance. And then we entrust our care to God, who judges justly. And that's what happens at the end of chapter 42, when Job is ultimately vindicated, and even the friends need to go to Job. So I think it's pretty clear why James 5 told us that Job was an example of perseverance, the capacity to bear up, to hold out in the face of difficulty, because he kept focused on the Lord when times were good. He trusted God in the trials, and he acknowledged the struggle over the long term. Now, some might suggest Or might be thinking, there's no way I could do that. Maybe that's true. Because you remember the title of the message? Make every effort to add to your saving faith perseverance. Maybe it's the saving faith part that you don't have yet. Maybe the perseverance seems impossible Because you haven't acknowledged your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And can I encourage you not to put that off one more day? Yesterday, we had the opportunity to have the memorial for a 35-year-old who died in his sleep last Sunday night. Nobody would have guessed that Monday or Sunday, would have been his last day. 
So don't put off what needs to take place in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for just a wonderful reminder of what perseverance looks like. And Lord, we can talk about the strength of perseverance, finishing strong, not allowing something to happen no matter what in our hearts. But Lord, we also acknowledge that we're weak. And even if we choose to respond well at the initial struggle, it's always possible for us to crack. And so, Lord, would you help us to repent when our minds and our hearts start drifting away from you? Would you help us to remain focused on you when things are good and it seems as if nothing could be better? Would you help us to trust you in the midst of the hard times? And Lord, we're asking that you would do that in all of our hearts so that it might be true of us that we are blameless, upright, fearing you, and turning away from evil. So we ask in Christ's name, amen.